may there be freedom from suffering, may sanity prevail. I like to begin my programs by quoting my guru, Baba Mukhananda, who always began by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varisanmane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, something as simple as that. God knows we need that exact uh, mood these days. To welcome another person with love is the essence of spirituality. And I want to welcome everyone watching uh, on the internet and everyone who's here for the first time. <clears throat> welcome to the ashram. Now, the ashram is a certain kind of school. Uh, it's not an ordinary school offering ordinary education, but something else. In the ashram, talks, you give talks and no one can understand them. <laughs> uh, this is called second education. We call our normal education first education. The ashram offers second education which is the education of the inner life, the education of spirituality. Uh, <clears throat> for this reason, ashrams and other schools like it have been called mystery schools. I love that term, mystery schools, because such schools are dedicated to the deepest mysteries of life. Let's face it, life is bloody mysterious. Uh, we come into this world, and we don't exactly know why or what it's about, and we don't question it. We just, like wind-up toys, we go about our business, thinking we need to get education, get a job, do this and do that. Meanwhile, uh, we neglect the most profound issues, the uh, philosophic issues, the cosmic issues, the, the uh, issues that involve meaning, what's it all about. But at some point in our life, because we are creatures of meaning, we brood about meaning, we, uh, our nature is consciousness. At some point in our lives, we start to think about these questions. And that's why we have ashrams, where spirituality goes on, because then we, uh, we turn to spirituality. Let me begin by addressing three questions. What is the goal of spirituality? What are the obstacles to achieving this goal? And what are the methods and means to be applied to achieve the goal? <clears throat> I can answer these questions in a few sentences, uh, but the real answer can only be experienced over many years. The goal of spirituality is to know the self, to discover our true nature. Uh, the place inside of us that's filled with love, with wisdom, with joy, with peace. And yes, that place does exist within each of us, no matter how much difficulty we're in. And every one of us has felt uh, depression or anxiety or fear or confusion. Uh, but despite all that, in our essence, we are these wonderful qualities. So the second question, 
What is the obstacle to these things? In ordinary life, there are all kinds of obstacles that we face. Uh, however, the obstacles to the spiritual goal are never outside of us. No matter what our situation in life is, it may be very humble, it may be, uh, it may be all kinds of social injustice, all kinds of things, but the, the issues of spirituality are all inside of us. It doesn't matter. True? Okay. <laughs> you got a new practice, huh? You can ask you like that. <laughs> did I say Louis Abelafio or did I say Abraham Abelafio? Oh, that's good. Well, uh, back, in, back in the 60s, there was a guy running for city council in New York named Louis Abelafio. <laughs> so... I didn't want to mention it. Abraham Abdullahi is the team. All right. <laughs> I just thought. Anyway. <clears throat> uh, so these inner things like, like um, past traumas, uh, negative emotional tendencies, lack of understanding, loss of confidence, inability to focus, all these things, these are the inner obstacles. <clears throat> And so the third point, what is the methodology? The methodology of spirituality is called yoga. Um, I wrote a book on Kashmir Shaivism, a great yogic philosophy, and the subtitle was, the book is called Consciousness is Everything, and the subtitle was called The Yoga of Kashmir Shaivism, because I'm not interested, I used to be very interested in philosophy, philosophical concepts, how they all danced around and fit together, and this one said that. But when I turned to second education, I became interested only in transformation, in becoming happy, becoming free, becoming joyful. And because of that, I wanted a more practical thing, so I looked more for methodology, which we can call yoga, which actually creates transformation. In the West, we think of yoga mainly as uh, the physical postures. Uh, that's Hatha Yoga. <clears throat> but in fact, according to Maharishi Patanjali, who's the ancient authority on yoga, there are eight aspects or limbs of yoga, um, and of which the postures are only one of the eight. Uh, the main method of spirituality, which is practiced here in the ashram, uh, is described in the last three limbs or aspects of yoga taught by Patanjali, and that is meditation. Uh, and at the end of my talk, I'll lead a, uh, a short meditation. Meditation is direct. It's not intellectual or theoretical. It is experiential. And like Lilavati, I came from an academic background, uh, so I was up to my gills in first education, intellectual education, uh, and I started to see the limits of it at a certain point. In the late 60s, I was living in New York and studying hard for my uh, doctoral qualifying exams in literature and living on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Uh, and I had an experience that changed the direction of my life. 
I was visiting a friend's apartment, the same, uh, what do you call it, tenement, I guess, uh, that I was living in, uh, and a knock came on the door, and there were a few of us there, and I was closest to the door, so I answered the door, and I opened it, and a gun came into my face. And I thought, I'm in New York. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought, I'm going to die. That's what I thought. I could see the bullets in it. And my second thought was, what a waste of all that education. <laughs> really. <clears throat> and I thought, how, and, and then I had some kind of profound thought, like it could end so quickly and suddenly and, and uh, you know, like what, what I've been wasting my time with all this stuff. And <clears throat> anyway, he was looking for um, Dave Sinclair. Um, he was very courteous. He had us lie down. He had us uh, show him his, our wallets. He ascertained that none of us was the, the aforementioned Dave Sinclair. He said, I have to apologize to you guys. And he left. But he transformed my life. <laughs> I would have warned Dave Sinclair if I knew where to find him. Oh, he said that Dave Sinclair had burned him in a drug deal. $200. And that was a lot of money in New York in the 60s. You could get a lot of drugs. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, but, but something went off in me, and I started to uh, think about more fundamental questions. Who am I? What's the meaning of all of this? What's the best way to live? Uh, I started to think, you know, life is temporary, things like that. And they gripped me. So a few years later, I, I was continued my life. I got a job teaching in, in the Midwest, Indiana University. I was teaching uh, Shakespeare and Humanities and um, thinking about these things. And I got an opportunity because I had connections with people who thought about the same things. I, had a uh, I got a connection to have dinner at a small dinner party with Ramdas, the American spiritual teacher. And they sat me right next to him and we chatted. <clears throat> and uh, he had, most of you know who Ramdas is, but some of you might not. He had been a professor at Harvard in psychology he got involved with Tim Leary, who was another professor at Harvard. Together they tried all kinds of psychedelics. They eventually got kicked out of Harvard. Tim Leary uh, began, uh, what was it, tune in, what, turn on, tune in, drop out, kind of he went crazy. After about 500 acid trips, he, he, uh, his mind was affected. <laughs> um, but but uh, the other one, Richard Alpert, became interested in spirituality and went to India. And there he met a guru and he became Ramdas. And so he's the fellow I was sitting next to and he started talking to me. Uh, he'd been to India, he'd met uh, a great guru <clears throat> and given him some answers and he was answering questions that I had. And, and that night I became convinced that I had to go to India myself and to meet someone who could show me about these issues. 
Uh, and in that state of mind, I did exactly that. Uh, six months later, I wound up everything, and uh, with my then wife, we went to, to Europe. We bought a Volkswagen Combi van in Amsterdam uh, and drove all the way to New Delhi, um, passing through Europe, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and finally into India. That's a trip that no one is going to make in the foreseeable future, is it? <laughs> Less in deep disguise. I don't know how you could do that. It was even dangerous in those days, but I didn't know any better. Um, so that's what happened. There are many adventures, but in a real sense, this outer journey was symbolic of an equally real journey that was happening inside of me. And this is the journey that today I would call the search for the true self. The inner psychological spaces are just as real as outer physical spaces, maybe more real. <clears throat> when we come here and chant and meditate together, we're coming together in the highest sense. We arrive at the same place, a place that exists within each of us. It is our most intimate and fundamental nature, the conscious being that is who we really are. <clears throat> if our mind is whirling in confusion and our thoughts are running wild, we can't get to that place. In the same way, if our emotions are dark and extreme and negative, full of anger, anxiety, depression, we can't get to that inner place. <clears throat> that place is peaceful, harmonious, joyous, and full of love. And if we learn the art, every one of us can access that place within us. That's the really good news that the great yogis, the great beings tell us, that it's available to every one of us. We just have to put a little interest in it, make a little effort in that direction. The sages call it the Atman, or the inner self. I like to call it the clear space of good feeling, because there's both thought and feeling inside. So when thought is clear and peaceful, and feeling is good and positive, then you're very close to that place called the self. <clears throat> if we learn to quiet our minds and uplift our feelings, we arrive at the clear space of good feeling. Not only that, we can meet each other in that space. And then we find that all the great beings of all the different traditions who have gone before us uh, are still in that space. The Buddha, Jesus, Lord Krishna, my guru, Swami Muktananda, pictures there, and my guru's guru, whose statue is over there, Bhagwan Nityananda. And in that space, we can really meet in our essence. We can really converse, and we can really love. Otherwise, our conversations and our relationships are superficial and uh, merely on the surface. <clears throat> and only then, when we access that space, do we really understand things, what life is about. As I said, this clear space of good feeling is within every one of us. Sometimes in, during the journey 
of our lives we hear about it, and some of us get interested in it. Uh, like Lilavati, maybe we read books about it. And like her, if we read too much about it, we get confused. One path says there's an inner self. Another path says there's no such thing. There's only a void. Then you start fighting. Oh, there's a void. No, there's a self. <clears throat> One path says you can attain this place only by wisdom, by knowledge. Another path says that knowledge is useless, only love is important. So you can fight about that too. <clears throat> One path says the world is unreal. It doesn't exist except in our minds. That's called Vedanta. Another path says that this world is not only real, but it's God incarnate. That's Shaivism. And uh, I do get into that fight every once in a while when I lose my brains. <clears throat> One path says there's no God, only awareness. Another path says the absolute can take any form of God that it wants or remain formless. What the hell? All this confusion, because the clear space of good feeling, the space of the self, lies beyond the scope of the thinking mind, lies beyond the scope of our intellect. <clears throat> it's a matter of direct, first-hand experience. It doesn't matter what anyone else has said about it. Each of us has to learn about it for ourselves through direct experience. I'll give you a simple example. Suppose you've never eaten chocolate, <clears throat> but you've read about it. You've heard all about it. You've gone to Harvard, graduate school in, in the Department of Chocolate. You got your PhD in chocolatology. <clears throat> you know the history of chocolate. You know the chemical composition of chocolate. You know where it comes from. You may even know if it's fair trade chocolate. But you've never tasted it. <clears throat> Can it be said that you know chocolate? You might even be a world expert in chocolate theory. But do you really know chocolate? It might even be that if you're given a taste of real chocolate, that you wouldn't identify it as that. You say, hmm, this is good. What is it? You get my point. <clears throat> if you look at the technology we've developed, the science, the medicine, the transportation, and the thing that flabbergasts me, the internet, and how we've seen a revolution in just a few years of all of life by, by what's happened on the internet, you can see what, how, what a great tool, Ramdas would say, what an exquisite tool, he would say, uh, the mind can be. Uh, what our culture hasn't understood, or maybe it's just come to the brink of that understanding, is that the rational mind has its limits. Take a look at all the uh, psychological problems, the uh, addiction problems that's rife in our culture. The yogis affirm that there's a place beyond the rational mind, and it's a place of power and higher intelligence. <clears throat> now, my first experience uh, of this, this space came uh, uh, certainly enough during the 60s through psychedelics, 
uh, I emerge into a place of oneness in which the objective field that I looked upon was somehow part of me, my own subjectivity. It was a, I had a, a mystical experience through that means. There was a oneness rather than a multiplicity. Uh, this oneness was accompanied by an extraordinary sense of peace and blissfulness. Extraordinary, like nothing I've ever experienced. It reminded me of the passage in scripture, the peace that passes understanding. It was, it was a, actually, I felt like my heart was blanketed with this wonderful peace. <clears throat> so I wanted more of it, so I tried again. Uh, <laughs> 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 and what happened? What happened then, yeah. Vicky? Uh, you got chocolate. <laughs> 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 That's right. So I tried a few times, and I learned something from it. One is that the, these experiments don't always uh, go in the right direction. I had some bad trips, you could say. The other is I got tired of depending on a substance to get there. And by that time, I'd become aware that the same goal might, in principle, be achieved by inner means, that is, by meditation. <clears throat> in fact, I learned that that the, the very mind that I was trying to transcend could help me in my quest uh, if I used it properly. It would become transformed into something greater. I could move beyond facts to understanding, beyond knowledge to wisdom. Before I went to India, I read books on yoga and Eastern masters. <clears throat> I became convinced that some of them actually lived in a state similar to what I had experienced under LSD. They lived in a state of at-oneness in which the universe had become part of their subjectivity. In more simple terms, they were always in a state of consciousness in which they were happy and at peace and present. <clears throat> I wanted some of that. So I went in my travels in India, I met a number of saints uh, of this level. There was, uh, the first one I met was Ananda Maima. <clears throat> and then later I met, I had the good, this is great good fortune I had. I met uh, Nim Karoli Baba. <laughs> he was very, very cute. And then I met Nisargadatta Maharaj. Every one of them, uh, the highest quality and very different. Nisargadatta was very argumentative. Uh, Ananda Ma was beautiful, sweet, smart as hell. And um, uh, Nim Baba is indescribable. <laughs> I can't describe him. He was charming, though. <clears throat> and then I had the same feeling about Swami Muktananda who I met in New Delhi in early 1971. He later became my guru. As well as having an exalted consciousness, he was intensely practical and incredibly personable. <clears throat> you could relate to him, talk to him, and learn from him. 
my intuition told me this is a realized being, someone who knows the true self. Okay. <clears throat> I felt that if I spent time with him, I could come to know who I am. And it's true. One of the things I learned from Baba is that there is a place not only in everyone but inside me of great strength and joy and love. And that if I move towards it and give it attention, give it, spend some time with it, just like learning any art, uh, I could find it. It's true for all of us. And the way to it is by means of meditation and self-inquiry. In meditation, we focus our whole awareness in connecting with the core of our being. <clears throat> Mental focus used in this way has great power. By focusing on external things, we've cured diseases, sent people to the moon, done so many other things. If you use it inwardly, other kinds of marvelous things happen. The quality of our life improves. Our moods change to the better. Our joy increases. Our insight grows. We feel more stable, <clears throat> more secure. Sometimes we strongly identify with our egos. We think, I am these thoughts. I am these moods. I am these opinions. Take the case of opinions. <clears throat> I've seen people hold opinions so strongly in their youth that they would die for them. Then in later years, they hold exactly opposite opinions, 100% opposite. That does happen. I'm not making that up. And right now, we're seeing people die for beliefs and what they hold to be true. They think it's worth killing and being killed. Just as we identify with our opinions, we identify with our personal and psychological limitations. If we stop identifying with these things, then we move from being an ordinary person to a great being. We become one of those that have transcended, that have moved to this higher state. The potential is there within every one of us. Meditation is not a mystic Eastern art. I think of it as a kind of scientific approach to our own self. <clears throat> In the world of science, there's great emphasis on objectivity, the cult, the cult of objectivity. In science, they only talk about objectivity. However, no matter how objective you get, there's always a subject watching the objects. There's always a subject doing the experiment. You can't get away from there being a subject involved. <clears throat> And when science turns around and approaches its own subjectivity, then we have spirituality, we have yoga, we have meditation. <clears throat> and then it can uncover the true self. It's only looked outward so far. Although, of course, for centuries there have been beings who've used their awareness inwardly. Ultimately, to know the self, you have to learn how to handle your thoughts and feelings. <clears throat> Not an easy job. In our culture, we are more likely to handle them by means of alcohol or drugs or pharmaceuticals. It seems more easier than to 
practice, uh, by inner practice. But we can't handle it through yoga, through inner practice, through meditation. <clears throat> you let these thoughts and feelings be there. You separate from them. You are not them. You're the one who observes them. You're the witness of these thoughts. <clears throat> See over there the statue of uh, Bhagwan Nityananda, my guru's guru. We got another picture of him over here? I think we do. <clears throat> He's a very, very great yogi. And as I said, above me is the picture of my guru, Swami Muktananda, also a very great yogi. Though two di more different men you could not meet. What they had in common is they were both established in this place that I'm talking about. And they were full of energy. Just to be in their presence was to experience a divine, uh, unexampled, something different, an energy that was a higher kind of energy. <clears throat> if we quiet our minds and become still, we can feel their energy pulsing here in the ashram. People say it's very easy to meditate in the ashram. And the reason is that it's the blessings of these great beings. Their energy is alive here. People get shaktipat here. People get in touch with the depths of their souls here. <clears throat> this energy calls on us to know ourselves and to wake up spiritually. And that is the true self. When we meditate, the first thing we have to do is to deal with our thoughts. Thoughts come up one after the other. <clears throat> Where they come from is mysterious. Quite extraordinary that all through your life you've had a voice talking in your head, a podcast running, a narration going on, talking to you, talking. How mysterious is that? Who the hell is that? <clears throat> they come from one after the other, and they're mysterious. And every thought that comes up says, think me, think me. <clears throat> that person hates me. Let me think about that. You know, we just want to go follow them all. They, they each indicate some road that we can travel. Uh, it could be the road of memory, it could be the road of fantasy, it could be the road of paranoia, or the road of what if, the road of he hates me, all these roads. <clears throat> Every thought invites us to get completely involved in the narration it implies. And the goal of meditation is to avoid these pathways, not to go down them, and to watch the thoughts go by as though we were standing on a bridge watching the river <clears throat> and the boats go by below. Uh, that's the final metaphor of a great novel, I'm sure some of you have read Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. That was very big, big back in the 60s. Everybody was reading Hesse. And uh, uh, Siddhartha is the, the main character and he goes through many adventures and he even meets the Buddha, studies with him and by the end of the book, he's become a Buddha himself. And what he does is he's a boatman. He just sits on the river and he watches the river go by. And life brings him things 
and life takes them away and just sits there in this state of peace. And this is meditation. You're Siddhartha watching the river, sitting there watching the river go by. <clears throat> it's a process of continually letting go while standing firmly in the clear space of good feeling and the true self. At some point in this process of detaching and witnessing, a breakthrough happens. And you're actually there in this place I call the self. And when it happens, you know it. Because it's marked by energy, it's marked by joy, marked by peace, good feeling. It's a place without worry, anxiety, or obsession. <clears throat> and as I said, the true teachers of humanity, the real, the spiritual teachers, are those who live in that space. And hanging out with such beings points us to the place inside in which we're the same as they are. The really great beings don't say, I'm special and you're a worm. They say, you're just like me. You go through... Learn the method that I use, you can become just like me. And we get raised to the next level of consciousness, which is nothing but love, nothing but joy. To attain it, we turn inside, we meditate in the core of our being, on the inner self, on the clear space of good feeling. <clears throat> we let the mind become quiet. You if you find it difficult, you might repeat the mantra. Well, you could do something as simple. You could have to repeat the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, which is the mantra of our tradition, uh, which means I bow to the self, I call on the self. Or if you want something uh, less esoteric than that, you can simply repeat a word that signifies a quality you want, like love, like peace, like contentment. <clears throat> but the mantra is very powerful also. So we'll meditate now for a few minutes. Once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. To my mind, the greatest thing that a person can do for himself or herself <clears throat> is to spend a little time each day even 15 minutes meditating on the self. It's my wish for you all to do that. If you haven't meditated before, begin now. If you're a long-time meditator, keep going. The rewards are great. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. The goal is the inner self. The fact that the Buddha attained it, the fact that Jesus attained it, the fact that Muktananda attained it is helpful, but it doesn't help you ultimately. You have to attain it. But it can't be that hard since you're, it's your true nature. Not that hard at all. It just takes a little bit of attention. So let's meditate by turning within Focusing within, say the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, let other thoughts quiet down, let yourself drop into your center. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes.
So once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Chat Gurnat Maharaj Ki Jai. Let's meditate.